everyone. My name is Josh Scroggins. I pastor New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. We are closing out our series called Wired, Preparing for the Power to Flow. In this episode, we're going to be talking about outward-facing conductors and capacitors. These are the uh, things dealing with our relationships with one another and how they allow the power of God to flow in and through our lives. Romans 12, 1-2, it's our theme verse. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. As we finish up this series, I, uh, I look back over this last uh, couple of months, and I, I'm, I'm really hoping that these messages, these uh, this this um, insights, these these truths from Scripture, these things about our lives, I hope that this has helped you. We've talked about upward-facing things, right? The things between us and God. We've talked about inward things, our personal and inner thoughts, perspectives, practices, and attitudes. And finally, we've talked about, and we are finishing in this episode with outward-facing things. These are the things between us and others. Each of these areas contains things that act as insulators, right? The things that stop God's power from flowing in our lives. Resistors, which is what uh, doesn't stop, but can hinder the flow of God's power. Conductors are the things that allow the free flow of God's power. And capacitors, these are the things that act like batteries, storing up strength and power for the times where we'll need it later. Uh, As we finish this series up, we're going to be focused on that last category, the outward facing things that act as both conductors and capacitors, wires and batteries. These outward things, involve our relationships with others. They include attitudes, actions, perspectives, and they will ultimately help or hinder the flow of God's power in your life. As we finish up the series, I hope that you have, looking back, you have had changes, you have had growth, you have had uh, something changed where your relationship with God has gotten better. And my hope is that you would live your life in such a way that God works through you all the time and that his power is evident every single day. And that absolutely is possible, but it requires that our lives are wired the right way. So let's jump right in here in um, our outward capacitors. We're going to start with this. A capacitor, again, remember, is like a battery. So this is relating to our relationship with others. What are the things that we can do or say or have a perspective about when it comes to our relationship with others that will actually store up something that will bless us or that we might need later? And the first one is generosity. Generosity is actually the opposite of selfishness. It is, It really is. I mean, to be generous is to understand and live out one of the greatest truths that there is, that everything we have does not belong to us. It belongs to God. 
It is the opposite of selfishness because selfishness is all about what we can take and generosity is about what we can give. Selfishness is about holding a closed fist to hang on to everything that we have. Generosity is about extending an open hand to give, but also so that God can pour into. See, when we are generous, we store up generosity for ourselves when we'll need it later. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. They'll pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. When we're generous to others, it makes them want to be generous back to us. I mean, think about how many times someone has blessed you, someone has been kind to you, someone has been generous to you, and and you feel this compulsion within you to want to give back. That is this rule in play. In, in fact, this rule is, is uh, something that is part of our human condition, yes, but it is even built more into the universe itself. This is something that God established. It is a rule, it is a principle that is true on a very real and very big level. And this principle is that of sowing and reaping. What is sowing and reaping? It's planting and harvest. I mean, think about planting a seed, right? That's what we call sowing. Reaping is when the harvest comes back and we get the return for that. I mean, you don't plant a single seed and then get back a single seed in return. No, what you get is an entire plant that gives you many, many, many seeds. And this principle of sowing and reaping, God has built it into all of his creation. In fact, God himself believed in this principle so much. He understood this principle so much. He knew how concrete this principle was that he actually sowed or gave his only son so that he would get back many, many, many sons and daughters. What you plant or what you sow, you will reap in return. If you plant a seed in good soil, it grows. Now, imagine two people, one is generous and the other is selfish, okay? Now, I want you to just imagine for a moment two people that one of them is always giving of themselves. One is always being generous. Whatever they have, they share. And then the other is someone who hoards it all, will not give, will not share. Even when the need is is great for others, this person is very selfish with they have, with what they have. Now, I want you to imagine that both people hit a hard time and now they need others to help them in that moment. Who is most likely going to receive generosity? It's the one who has been generous. So I say that generosity is like a battery. It stores up for ourselves something later. Being generous now may not be something that gives you a tremendous blessing now, although it does give you a blessing now. There is something incredibly, incredibly amazing about being generous and being able to give. There is, there is benefits that come from that. There is good that comes from that. However, later down the road, you may need someone to be generous to you. And you'll find that you can reap the harvest of what you have planted if you have planted What's more than that, not even just who are others most likely to be generous between these two, the generous, the selfish person, but who is God most likely going to be generous with? The one who is generous to others and these people that God loves and and this person is generous to them or the one who's selfish and refuses to give. See, that's why we give at our church. That's why we take up tithe and offering. It's why we present opportunities for people to give. Uh, number one, yes, we do need the, the building to stay open. We've, we've, got, we've got expenses, but it's not that it, nearly as much as it is that we understand that giving has a tremendous blessing attached to it. 
And when we refuse to give, we rob ourselves. When we refuse to give, we miss out on a blessing that is so powerful. And so at our church, one of the things that we do, we, we teach on giving. We teach on generosity. We, we do take tithe and offering. Uh, there's a lot of churches, they'll put a little bucket in the back. They'll put a box in the back. They won't even mention it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing them. They can, they can do what they want. But that's not how we do it. And the reason is, is, is not because, again, not because God needs your money. He doesn't. He owns everything. Okay, he'll be fine. And I fully believe with our church that, you know, if if uh, some members decided that they weren't going to give, God would find another way of supplying the resources to our church. That has happened before where we have had people that have left the church and um, for whatever reason they, they moved or we've had several that relocated and they were big givers to the church. And I knew this is God's church. He's going to take care of it. And he did. If you don't give to your church, God will send somebody else that will give what you should have. He'll take care of his church. But what happens is if you don't give, you rob yourself. There is tremendous blessing there. When you're not generous with what God has given you, then what you're doing is you're clenching your fists around what you have. And a clenched fist is not something that is easy to get anything into. God wants to give you resources. But he can only give it to you if he can get it through you. The next, uh, the next one is mutual celebration. This is another battery dealing with our outward-focused um, things, right? So, so our relationships with others is mutual celebration. When you experience a great blessing, what do you want to do? You, you want to share it with others, right? You want to find somebody and tell them all about it, and and that's great. You want them, um, you want to share with them because you're excited, right? There's this this thing that is is so. Um, so great about sharing these blessings and that's great up until it's somebody who wants to share with you. Uh, and then you have a choice to make, right? When, when somebody shares a blessing with you, there's, there's two responses that you can have. You can either be jealous, right? You can say, why didn't that happen to me? Why is this happening to them? How come they got this? How come they got the promotion when I know I'm more qualified and I didn't get a job or I didn't get a promotion? Or, you know, why why are they being blessed with a child when I've been trying for so long? Why are they being blessed with this promotion when uh, when I have been trying to get one? Why are they being blessed with, you know, a new house or a new car or whatever? You know, and, and, and there's, there's this natural response that we have of jealousy. And it's not a good response. It's a, it's a fleshly response. It's part of our sin nature, but it absolutely is a normal response. And you can have that response when someone tells you of how they have been blessed or they tell you of their good fortune. Or you can rejoice. And, and rejoicing is one of these uh, responses that doesn't come as natural. It doesn't come as easily as jealousy. It doesn't come... Um, without some some intention a lot of times but you could rejoice so you could either be jealous and say well why couldn't that happen to me why them and not me or you could rejoice you could say you know what we're on the same team and if they're winning i'm winning what's more if god can do it for them he can do it for me i'm going to celebrate the fact that our team has a win this this person right here i'm going to celebrate that god is blessing them Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When you are rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, you're actually celebrating God for what he's doing. And you're rejoicing in God's power. And that sets you up for God to bless. Because he knows that you will be grateful. 
He knows that you can understand that blessings come from him. Now, let's let's get the let's do with the elephant in the room. What about people who receive blessing? What about people who have wealth or success and they got that by doing immoral things or sinful things? Well, we don't rejoice in that. Okay, I'm not going to for instance, I'm not going to go down and celebrate a drug dealer getting his 100th customer. Okay, I'm I'm not going to celebrate that. I'm not going to go celebrate the financial success of an abortion or a transition doctor. But when a person is simply blessed, and is celebrating, I'm going to celebrate with them. Ecclesiastes 5.19 tells us, Furthermore, as every person to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also given them the opportunity to enjoy them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. In other words, God blesses us, and part of the blessing that comes with God blessing others with riches and wealth, which is one of the things God can bless us with. I'm not saying that everyone who has riches and wealth has so because they're blessed from God. However, it can be a blessing. Success can be a blessing. Influence can be a gift. Part of that gift is being able to enjoy it. That means that when someone has a gift from God, God wants them to enjoy it. If God has given somebody wealth, he doesn't expect them to to necessarily give away everything he gave them, right? Part of the gift is for them to enjoy it. Part of enjoying something is celebrating with others about it. And so by joining in on it, you actually become an active participant in the gift that God is giving them. You become a part of that blessing. And again, you set yourself up to be used by God and to be blessed by God later when you do that. So what about conductors? Conductors are like wires. They uh, they don't store up power, but they allow God to flow freely in you and through you. Here's the first one. It's encouragement. Encouragement. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are doing. We've talked about the power and importance of words, but encouraging others with our words is one way that God works through us. Using our words to speak life into others allows God to work by speaking through us. You ever had someone speak a word of encouragement to you when you needed it the most? How much did that mean to you? See, the fact is that you never know when someone might need it. So get in the habit of encouraging one another all the time. This is yet one more reason why attending church regularly is so important because it allows us opportunities to encourage one another and be encouraged by one another. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the safest places we have the opportunities to encourage others in the Lord is at church. And so it's important to be there. Speaking life over others allows you to become an active participant in what God is doing in that life. God is trying to bless them in their life. God is trying to encourage their life. He's trying to to, uh, speak to them. And one of the most common ways that God uses to speak to people is by using other people. And when we say, I will be that person, when we choose to encourage and bless and, and speak life to people and speak counsel to people and, and, and to build others up with our words, we actually allow God's power to flow through us 
and into them. Another way that we can allow God to flow through us, God's power in our life, is through serving. Philippians 2, 1 to 8 says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection or compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Don't look merely out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Look, Jesus, before he went to the cross, had a last meal with his disciples, and at that meal, he did something no rabbi should ever do. He took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around him, he got on his knees, and he washed their feet. Now, this was a job reserved for the lowest-ranking servant in the house. Jesus was unquestionably the highest-ranking person in that room, in that building, in that city, on the on the planet. And yet, Jesus himself took the role of the lowest servant, and he washed their feet. Now, this was a disgusting job to have in a place where people wore open shoes, traveling on dirt roads, shared with animals, right? There, who knows what you were going to step in? Who knows what was going to get stuck to your feet? It was a gross job. And Jesus himself gets down on his knees and washes their feet. And as amazing an act of service as that was, Jesus went on even further by giving his life for them for us to serve us out of love and of the two if i had to choose between washing someone's feet or giving my life on a cross the 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 foot washing seems pretty easy jesus chose the hard choice he came as a servant jesus said i didn't come to be served i came to serve and he also said that if i serve you should serve No servant is greater than their master. And if I am the master, you're not greater than me. If this is not below me, it's definitely not below you. If serving others is not below Jesus, it cannot be below us. When we serve others, we are taking on the attitude of Christ himself. When we are acting as the very hands of Jesus who wants to serve them, God's power and love flows through us to them. And again, if you've ever had someone serve you and love, you know how powerful that is. Another thing that we can do that is outward facing, that allows God's power to flow through us is intercession. 1 Timothy 2, 1-2 says, First of all, then, I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made on behalf of all people for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Jesus prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17 in one of the most powerful prayers ever recorded. And later, even he he prayed even for those who had placed him on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When we intercede for others, 
which is just a way of saying that we're praying for others. We're actually calling out God's will over their lives. We are behaving in a way that follows the pattern that Jesus laid with his life. Jesus prayed for others. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for the ones who killed him, asking God to forgive them. When we intercede for others, we are calling out God's will over their lives. And it's such a powerful form of prayer that allows us to tap deeply into the heart of God in a way that other kinds of prayer often miss. Why is that, Pastor? Well, often we can more easily believe that God can bless others than ourselves. When we're believing that God is going to bless, it seems like believing God's going to bless someone else comes much easier because we know our faults. We don't know theirs. We tend to see ourselves often in, in the worst light. And so it's very difficult for us often to believe that God really wants to bless and will bless us. But when we're praying for others, we can tap into that faith that is bigger and it allows us to pray more boldly. When we're interceding, interceding for others, we are actually taking on the attitude and the desires of God for that person's life. And it allows God to flow through us in a special way. And so the question I would have for you is this, do you pray for others? Are you asking God to bless people in an unselfish way? What do I mean by that? I mean, are you praying for people that you're not going to benefit from their being blessed? Look, if you're praying for your husband and wife, if husband or wife, and, and you should, by the way, that's one thing, because if they're blessed, you're blessed. But if you're praying for the stranger down the street, then you're not going to, it's not going to matter to you at all. It doesn't affect you at all, whether or not they're blessed. You're simply praying for them because God loves them. And I think you should do both. I think you should pray for the people that you are in connection with. I think you should pray for your friends and your families. I think you should pray for your husband and wife, your mother, your father, your son or daughter, your brother and sister. I think you should pray for those you go to church with. I think you should pray for your teachers and your um, counselors and for your pastors. All of them need prayer, but I also think you should pray for your leaders, the, the president, whether or not you voted for them. I think you should pray for your governor, whether or not you voted for them. I think you should pray for the leadership of this country. I think you should pray for missionaries you've never met and people groups you'll never see. Because what you do when you begin to pray is you tap into the heart of God and you begin calling out his will. It is a powerful thing, and it changes your heart to be able to think and feel the way that God does, to begin to love people that you've never met. That's why in that 1 Timothy 2, he says to intercede on behalf of all people for kings and all who are in authority even. And here's the last one. It's forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness and humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord's forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now look, we, we talked already about unforgiveness. We talked about the damage that it can do, the danger of it, right? We, we've already talked about that. In this episode, I'm talking about something a little bit different, not unforgiveness, but forgiveness. I'm not talking about the damage that unforgiveness can do nearly as much as I'm talking about the blessing that you get from forgiving and what happens when you forgive. Look, forgiveness can either be a tremendous obstacle 
or it can be a tremendous step stool for a person's life and walk with God. Either it is something that you trip over and stumble over, or it is something that can cause you to step up and move to the next level. When you don't forgive, you cut yourself off from God. But when you do, it allows you to walk in a freedom that is unlike anything else. You can, you can live life freer than ever before when you forgive. Why? Because forgiveness is much more about you than it is the other person. There are a lot of people in this world. There are a lot of people in this world who have others with unforgiveness towards them and they don't even know it. Chances are that you have had unforgiveness towards someone in the past or even currently that that person has no clue. They're just living their life. It isn't affecting them at all. Meanwhile, you're walking around with bitterness. You're walking around with a weight on you. You're walking around uh, with this in your life. You can't sleep. You can't have peace. And they're living their life completely content, unaware that you even have anything against them. Because forgiveness is far more about you than it is about them. When we choose to forgive, it is a choice to do for them what God has done for you. We understand that forgiveness, again, forgiveness affects you more than it does them. And unforgiveness affects you more than it does them. I've heard it said that that unforgiveness is kind of like eating rat poison and expecting the other person to die. It's silly, but that's kind of what it is. We we hurt ourselves, we poison ourselves, and it affects the other person little to none. But when we choose to forgive, we actually free ourselves from the pain that unforgiveness causes in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that that forgiving heals from the the pain that the the wound caused you you still have to heal from that you can forgive someone and still need to heal from a wound if they've hurt you 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 still need to forgive them and and you still need time to heal the forgiveness isn't that but but the fact is that unforgiveness causes tremendous pain the weight of unforgiveness is very heavy The damage that unforgiveness causes is tremendous. And when you forgive, you free yourself from all of that. I'm going to say something here that, that might contradict what you've heard in the past, but time does not heal all wounds. It just doesn't. Time does not heal all wounds. Do you want me to prove that? Well, go ahead and get yourself a, a really big cut on your arm or your leg and then just do nothing and let it go and see what happens. There's a good chance if you do nothing, that wound, if you if you allow time to happen, that wound will become infected. Do you know what happens then if you continue to let time go? Does time heal that wound? No. If time continues and you do nothing, that wound now that is infected may turn gangrene. And you may, you may have to remove part of your body. You may have to lose something. You may have uh, something that becomes fatal. Time does not heal wounds. If a wound is not cleaned out first, time only allows wounds to get infected and become worse. Forgiveness is like cleaning a wound. You've been hurt. You've been damaged. But that unforgiveness is like the infection. As long as it's there, 
the wound will never heal. In fact, as long as that unforgiveness is there, the wound will become infected and it will get worse. What was a hurt before will actually become a worse hurt. You ever had a wound that got infected, a cut that got infected? It hurts much, much worse than the original wound did. And unforgiveness is like that. Forgiveness is like cleaning out the wound. It still takes time to heal after you clean a wound. But at least the wound can do so eventually. At least you can heal now. See, forgiveness is a choice to put the hurt into God's hands and to trust him to do what's right, even if we may not like how he does it. And when we do that, that surrender sets us up for God's power to move in and through us. So it's time to do a little reflection. Are you being generous with what God's given you? Your time, money, influence, your experience, your skills? Are are you being generous with that in a way that benefits others besides just yourself? Are you rejoicing with others when they rejoice? Or are you secretly wishing it was you instead? Are you encouraging others with your words? Are you choosing to serve them? Even when it's humbling to do so? Are you praying for others on a regular basis? Do you still have unforgiveness in your heart? God has forgiven you in a way that is incomprehensible. God's perfect son, Jesus, had to die because of our sin. And God has chosen to offer forgiveness to anyone who wants it. When we give our lives to God, when he offers to forgive us, and and he does, when we begin a new life with Christ, we have access to a lot of amazing things. One of those is the strength to make all of these changes with God's help. If you want it, you just have to ask and God will help you. So do you need to make changes so that God's power can truly flow in and through your life? It's time to make those changes now. Allow your life to be wired in such a way that God's power flows freely through you, that you store up power that you will need for later, both in your upward perspective, your relationship with God, your inward places of your inner thoughts and and perspectives, and, and also in your outward relationships. Make sure they line up with the way that God would have you live your life, because it is only in that way that God's power is free to flow through you. And if you would do that, you will find life more than you would ever find it anywhere else or any way else. It is true life. Jesus would say, I didn't come so that you would just have life. I came that you would have life more abundantly. When God's power is flowing freely in you, it is the only way you truly experience that kind of life. God bless you. You have an amazing week. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.